Holy Spirit, thank you for being our teacher. So it'll open the word of God to us and change us forever today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. There is a possible chance we may finish the book. There's possible. It's possible. We're in chapter 22, starting at verse, we'll start at verse 10 today. Hold your Bible up. I want to see you brought a Bible. Bibles are good. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. We're talking about the promise of his return. This coming Thursday, we are training people to share their faith. Uh, it'll be a short training, 15 minutes 15 minutes of praying for divine appointments, and we're going out for five Thursdays from 6 to 8.30. It is not hard to talk to people. People are interested in faith. You just need a little coaching. So if you want to join us, we'll be meeting in the room right on the other side of this wall on Thursdays. Everybody got it? You got it? Okay, thank you. You're welcome to come. The day after Pearl Harbor, actually 10 hours after the attack in Hawaii by the Japanese Empire, they attacked on several fronts. They attacked the Philippines actually 10 hours after Pearl Harbor. And they did this because their empire was growing across the Pacific. And they had to take the Philippines if their empire was going to work because they had to have access to the countries, Indonesia below it. They needed a supply chain, troop transport, shipping. And so the Japanese empire attacked the Philippines the very essential next day. And this man, General Mashahura Homa, was giving the assignment it was actually an impossible assignment. Lieutenant General Homa had been educated in Great Britain. He had been trained for six years by the British military. He had kind of an affinity for the West. But his bosses told him he had to take the Philippines in like 90 days. It is a huge place with thousands of islands. And uh, when it didn't happen in 90 days, he was sacked, but he gave it his best. He had 43,000 crack experienced Japanese troops who landed on various places in the Philippines, and they won everywhere they went. The Americans were small in number. They were ill-trained. The Philippine army was also very uh, ill-equipped, and it was no chance. The odds were 20 to 1. And so the Americans and the Filipino army, every time they were attacked, they fought well, but they backed up. They fought well and backed up. They fought well and they backed up until they were slowly getting backed into a corner, now, I apologize for this map. It's very small. You see the Manila Bay. Manila is a huge, huge city. And in the middle of the bay in the channel, I don't know if you can see it, 
It's a rock island called Corregidor. Have you ever heard of Corregidor? The Allies called it the Alamo of the South Pacific. I'll tell you why. That's a picture of Corregidor. I was in the Philippines working with pastors, Filipino pastors, and uh, we finished what we were doing. I had an extra day and had nothing to do. And I wanted to see Corregidor because of the history. And so I was with a group of about 20 Filipino pastors, and I said, have any of you guys been there? Most of them had not. And one of them said, well, James knows it well. He goes and takes people. I bet James would take you to Corregidor. He said, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take you. So James met me in the little place I was staying about five in the morning, and we rode in about six or seven different kinds of transportation over the next several hours. Trains, buses, motorcycles. It was a crazy deal because it's a huge city. So we finally got to the harbor, paid about 50 bucks a piece to get on the ship to go out about an hour uh, out into the harbor. It is a solid rock fortress. The Spanish first built it as a defensive uh, installation to hold on to the Philippines. There are mammoth tunnels miles deep into the mountains that are bomb-proof. There are artillery pieces on every side of the island, and they are huge, huge weapons still there after all these years. MacArthur took the rest of the American troops and they barricaded themselves on Corregidor as a place for a last stand. And so when the, the American commander was given the order to surrender, instead of having all these men, American men massacred, they surrendered. And the Japanese had no idea that 22,000 American soldiers came out of those tunnels. 22,000. It was pretty cool to walk through those tunnels and see the places they slept, to see the, the hospital, to see the places where ammunition and food was stored. Now, right before the Americans surrendered, President Roosevelt got a message to General MacArthur, who was on Corregidor, saying this, you are not allowed to be on the island. I want you off the island immediately. Well, he protested. He wanted to stay with his troops and whatever they experienced, he wanted to say, I'm willing to go to prison too or die. But Roosevelt was insistent. You're the best general I have in the Pacific. You must stay alive. So there will be a PT boat at midnight in this harbor and you are to be on it. I want you off. Now today, there's an eight-foot statue in that harbor, in that, uh, I guess it's just a harbor, where MacArthur said goodbye to his officers and left. 
But before he left, he did this. He stood on the beach, he held up his hand, and he promised to Filipinos and Americans, I will be back. I promise you. And we will win this war, and we will take the Philippines again. I promise you that will happen. Now, on January 9th, 1945, he made his promise good. And there's an actual photo of he and his key officers waiting ashore to fulfill his promise. You say, Steve, why are you telling me this history story? Because there's a commander far greater than MacArthur who made you a promise. And he always keeps his promise. And he is coming back. And let's read his word. So you got your Bibles? You have your Bibles? Yes? Chapter 22, verse 10. And the angel said to John, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Verse 11. Let the one who does wrong, you just keep on doing wrong. Let the one who's filthy, you stay in your filth. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy, you keep yourself holy. Verse 12. But for behold, I'm coming quickly. Everyone say coming quickly. And my reward is with me. To render to every man, every woman, every boy, every girl according to what they have done in their lifetime. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And blessed, everyone say blessed. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. And they may enter by the gate into the city. Verse 15, outside. Everyone say outside. Are the, look at these six categories. The dogs, the sorcerers, they're moral people. The murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. You know it's addictive, right? Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. What do they say? One more time. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. John says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life from the holy city which are written in this book. Verse 20. 
He who testifies to these things say, yes, I'm quickly coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So you, hey, you have Jesus saying, yes, I'm coming quickly. And then the bride says, what to him? Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, first off, let's talk about what Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the Alpha. Please say that, please. The Alpha and the Omega. What is that, Steve? Well, remember, it's a Greek world at this time. The New Testament is written in Greek. Alexander the Great made it the trade language, most precise language ever. These are the first and the last letters in the Greek alphabet. Well, okay, so what does it mean? Here's what it means. Jesus is the sum of not some truth, not a truth. He is the sum of all truth, of everything written, everything spoken. He is the sum of all truth. He went on to say, I am the first and I am the last. What's that? What's that about, Steve? Well, when you're trying to navigate life, and figure out how to get through problems and difficulties. In some ways, life is like a puzzle. Jesus is a very first piece you lay down, and he's a very last piece. And everything in between. And then he goes on to say, I am the beginning, and I am the End. Well, the beginning of what? The beginning of everything. I feel sorry for people that have spent their life on this planet in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they haven't figured out that Jesus is to be first place. And they've wasted their life. It's the most foolish thing a person can do because Jesus would say, In this text, everything starts with me. Everything ends with me if you are wise. So please don't leave me out of your year. Don't leave me out of your month. Don't leave me out of your week and your day. Then he said, I am the root. Well, what's that about root? The root is the most important thing in every plant or every tree. When Sue and I got married, built a little bitty house. It was under construction. And we had a massive oak tree to the left of where our driveway was was going to be placed. I came home from the newspaper where I worked at the time. And there was a bulldozer out there. And he was cutting my driveway. And I stopped him, asked him to get off the, the bulldozer. I asked him to come over to my oak tree that must have been 60, 70 years of age. It was 60 feet tall. It was probably five to six feet across. And I just said, I want to keep my oak tree. So I want you please to spare the roots that go around and anchor and feed my oak tree. Will you do that? Yes, I will. 30 days later... 
My green leaves started turning brown and dropping because he cut just enough roots to kill my beautiful 60-year-old oak tree. When Jesus says he's the root, the root of what? He's the root of everything good. He's the source of God's plan for your life and to redeem the nations of the earth. He is the root. Don't neglect the root. Where is this place? Am I know? This is Jerusalem. In my thinking, if Jesus is the root, that means his city, his town, his capital city, Jerusalem, and the nation of Israel is the center of the earth. Point number three. He said, I am the descendant of David. David who? The founder of the Messianic line, the young shepherd boy that became the greatest king in Israel's history, the one that the Lord promised that the Messiah would come from his family. And what Jesus said here in chapter 22 is the fulfillment of 6,000 years of prophecy. The Lord Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, is the only legal heir to the throne of David. In the midst of the war the Babylonians brought to Jerusalem, the capital city, Jeremiah was told to tell the people that David will never cease to have a man on the throne of the house of Israel. And what we just read in chapter 22 is a fulfillment of that. He said, I am the bright, everyone say bright, the bright morning star. Well, what is the bright morning star? And why would Jesus call himself the morning star? Well, a couple of reasons, I would guess. The ancients called Venus the morning star. Venus is the closest planet to the earth. It is most visible. It is the brightest of all the stars. See it there on the screen? And it is our reference point. Jesus is the brightest light of all lights. He is our constant reference. If you don't know what to do, follow him. If you don't know what to think, grasp what he thinks. He is our reference point. Also, the morning star appears at the darkest point in the sky. Is there a message there? Yes, there is a message there. And here's the message. In your darkest moments, when you have no hope, you feel totally abandoned, realize that the morning star, Jesus Christ, is there for you. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. And he will get you to the dawn. Why will he get me to the dawn? Because the, the morning star appears right before again 
the new day starts. Saying this, the appearance of the Lord Jesus when he shows up, he shows up with promise and hope and strength. Now this also goes way back to the book of Numbers where a false prophet, a fallen man of God named Balaam attempted to curse the people of the Lord and out of his mouth on the third time when he was supposed to curse them, a prophecy came out of his mouth that a star will one day come out of Jacob's family line. And that will be the one that has a scepter that will rule all Israel. Now here's what heaven says to us. The Lord Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. Well, how quickly is it? I do not know. We just got a day closer. But as I've thought about this, we should act like it's coming sooner than later. I think many of us have this idea that Jesus is coming back, but probably we'll never see it. You will see it, I believe. And this is hypothetical. What if you were to know when he's coming back? Would it change how you lived? If you knew he was coming back a year from today, would you pray differently? Would you love differently? Would you serve differently? Would you share the gospel differently? Would you be more generous? Would you be more prayerful if you knew it was three years, four years, five years? He said it three times, coming back quickly. Then he went on to say, my reward, everyone say reward, is with me. Do you believe in eternal rewards? Do you know what they're based on? Do you want to be rewarded? Hold your hand up. Would you like to be rewarded for your time? He said, I'm going to repay my people for what they've done on the earth. Do you think about eternal rewards? I want to say I think about it a lot. Not so much for what I would gain, but this is how I think about it. Lord, am I being faithful to what you want me to do? Lord, am I doing what you want me to do? Because I have this desire to hear you say when I see your face, everyone say it with me, please. Well done, good and faithful servant. I love this quote. It has shaped my life for a long time. This quote is from a famous athlete, a rich man, a man who had everything going for him. Does anybody know the guy's name? He was kind of the Joe Montana of his era. He was a man by the name of C.T. Studd. And after his conversion... 
I think he was converted at Cambridge when D.L. Moody came and preached a series of events. A lot of young people gave their heart to Christ and surrendered to the ministry. And so what he did for almost 50 years, this is a house he was raised in. He gave away much of his wealth for missions. And for 40, almost 50 years, he lived in China, India, and the last 20 years were in Africa. This is what he looked like in his older years. I actually, on a bus in London, England, 20 years ago, got to meet his great-grandson. That was pretty fascinating. Here's what he said. Say it with me, please. One life will soon be only what is done for Christ will last. C.T. Studd is one of the reasons why there's such great revival going on in Africa because of the seeds he planted there. One day soon, one day very soon, every act of service to the Lord and showing kindness and helping people, every act of obedience when the Lord spoke to you, asked you to do this, asked you to step out, every act of sacrifice will be recognized in the next world by Jesus and be rewarded. I think our problem as believers, especially I think America, is maybe the toughest place to be a Christian. Why, Steve? Because we're so comfortable here. If we're sick, we go to the hospital. We have, we, instead of not enough food, we have too much food. We have beautiful cars and wonderful houses. It's so easy to be a Christian here. We're not persecuted. It doesn't cost us to be baptized. And I think the devil lulls us to sleep so we don't become aggressive in living for Jesus, showing initiative. Because the greatest gift he gives mortals is the power to choose. You can choose to be selfish or generous. You can choose to be faithful or faithless. You can choose to tell the truth or you can choose to be a liar. You can choose to be a man or a woman of prayer or you can choose to be a person that rarely prays. It's a choice. Every day is a choice. John was told to write this down, verse 11. Let me read it again. For the one who is doing wrong, you just keep on doing wrong. To the one who is filthy, you stay in your filth. But the one who is righteous, keep, keep, keep practicing righteousness. And the one who is holy, keep yourself holy. It's a choice. It is a choice. 
And then John writes, blessed are those, say it with me please, blessed are those who wash their robes. So when you die or when the Lord appears, do you want to be ashamed in his presence or do you want to be excited about his coming? Do you want to be clean before the Lord or dirty before the Lord? Blessed, which means not like happy. Blessed means you did this and God did this for you. When God blesses something, he takes your little. If you've got this much to offer, this much talent, he blesses it, you end up with this. That's the blessing of God. Well, Steve, what does it mean to be clean? Well, on two levels. One, have you given your heart to Jesus? When you give your heart to Jesus, you are forgiven of your sin, past, present, and future. Your name is put in the Lamb's book of life. That's on one level. But on the other level, it's your relationship with him. Are you staying out of sin? Are you keeping short accounts? What what does it mean, keeping short accounts? When you mess up, when you watch something you shouldn't watch, when you use language you shouldn't use, when you are uh, selfish, arrogant, critical to your spouse, do you quickly ask the Lord's forgiveness? That's called keeping short accounts because I don't want to mess my fellowship up with him. I don't want to miss the closeness I have. And then John writes to all those who wash their robes, they have the right to eat of the tree of life that's right down the middle of the heavenly city called New Jerusalem. There's a hunger that people have to know God and to walk with him. And there's also a thirst. John writes down, let the one who is thirsty come. Let him take of the water of life without cost. So today, are you thirsty? Thirsty for what really satisfies. Jesus talked to the woman at the well. And he said, I can give you water that once you taste of it, you will never thirst again. And she said, I want that water. One of the reasons we're doing five weeks of evangelism on Thursday night. We want to demonstrate how easy it is to talk to people. There are thirsty people all over our city because they're not satisfied. I was actually thirsty my entire year of my senior class. I had everything, but I had nothing. And there was something I was missing, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And there's people all around you, people at work, people in your neighborhood. They are looking and searching. And you have to develop friendships and learn to ask some simple questions and tell them where the living water is. John goes on to write, outside. And if there's an outside, there's an inside. Well, outside and inside of what? 
the gates of heaven. When life is over, do you want to be inside the city? Or do you want to be outside of the city? Simple question. And John writes down six categories of people who deliberately chose to be outside. One is dogs, especially poodles. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but it was funny, a little bit. Oh boy, these are not chihuahuas, these are not Great Danes, these are people. If you've been to places around the world, inevitably you see packs of wild dogs, They are sick. They have manes. They have all kind of stuff. Sometimes they are rabid. They are vicious. And they are opportunists. And they have no boundaries. And they have no morals. And they can't be touched. Can't be trained. And there's people just like that. Outside are the sorcerers. Do you realize just as there's a kingdom of light, there's a kingdom of darkness. People who mess with the Ouija board, people who mess with palm reading, people who mess with witchcraft and Wicca. Is it real? Yes, it is real. And you can invite darkness to come into your life and it is addictive. Because sometimes darkness offers power and people get addicted to it. Outside are the immoral. And this is about people that act out sexually. All categories of sexuality that's not holy and not right. Outside are the murderers. You say, Steve, people that take lives. Yes, there's people that do that. But it's also there's people that have rage and anger on the inside of them. And idolaters, everyone's idolaters. What do you mean? I don't have a golden calf. Well, is there anything in your heart that you love more than Jesus. And outside are the liars. Those who love to lie. Those who are good at lying. Those who practice lying. And then the spirit and the bride say come. Everyone say come please. One more time. One more time. Well, who's the spirit? The Holy Spirit. Who's the bride? The body of Christ, us. In my first church, there was a big old fella who would come about Christmas and Easter. I loved him. We were good friends. And once, it might have been at Easter, he came and he came forward and he gave his heart to Christ. And I just asked Ricky, I said, Ricky, have you been hearing the voice of the Lord knock on the door of your heart? And he surprised me. He said, yeah. I said, how long? He he knew exactly seven years. And he gave his heart to the Lord that day. He opened his heart to the one that loved him. Does anybody know who this is? This is William Borden. I was surprised. Nobody in the first service knew this man. Does anybody in this service know him? Fascinating. Born in Chicago, 
born into a wealthy family, a millionaire as a kid. His family made incredible wealth in the western silver mines of Colorado. And to men. His mother, who was unchurched to family, completely unchurched, was invited to a place called the Moody Church in Chicago that D.L. Moody had started. And as she started going, she started hearing the word of God. Her heart started opening up. And one day his mother gave her heart to Christ. She started bringing seven-year-old William to the Moody Church. And one day under the preaching, under the great pastor, writer, evangelist, R.A. Torrey, this is a picture of him. He pastored the Moody Church for many years. Young William came forward and gave his heart to Christ at age seven. Did you know children can have a life-changing encounter with the living God that will change them forever? That's what happened to William. As a graduation present, I want all you parents of seniors in high school to consider this. They gave their son a trip around the world. So he was all over Asia. He traveled through the Middle East. He traveled through Europe, but he didn't go by himself. He had a pastor family friend named Walter Erdman, and he's the one in the, on the left with a white Piff Helmet, Borden's on the right. And both of them, it was a life-changing trip. Pastor Erdman later resigned his pulpit and moved to Korea to be a missionary. And this growing burden started coming in William's life to do something with his life for the hurting people in the world. He actually wrote home to his parents as a 16-year-old. God is calling me to be a missionary. And I will obey him. Well, when one of his friends from high school heard about it, he said, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. A guy so talented, a guy so rich, a guy so handsome, throwing all this potential away to be a missionary What is he thinking? In response, William Borden, after his friend's rebuke, went back to his room and wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. I'm giving it all. He arrived at Yale as a freshman in 1905. And Bill Borden was different from every other freshman at Yale. That's the house he grew up in in Chicago. And it wasn't because he was a rich kid because most of the other students didn't even know where his family came from and their wealth. It's because he was sold out to Jesus. And they could tell a difference. During his college days, He made an entry into his journal. There is his journal, and the entry simply said this. Always, Bill, say no to self. Always, Bill, say yes to Jesus every time. That's pretty good counsel. In 
In his first semester at Yale, he started a simple prayer meeting right before breakfast because all the men at Yale ate breakfast together. And he had no idea that simple prayer meeting of five young freshmen would start a movement that would sweep the campus at Yale. Because at the end of his freshman year, there were 150 freshmen studying the Bible and praying together every week. By the end of his senior year, that had gone from 150 to 1,000 students who were in prayer groups. That's out of 1,300 on campus. Maybe the Lord would do that again at Yale. Say amen. In the evenings, Borden was out in the streets of New Haven caring for widows, orphans, and the disabled. He would take men who had passed out in a drunken stupor and try to sober them up and give them some food and get them a place to sleep and share the gospel with them. And out of his own initiative, he founded the Yale Hope Mission. When he graduated, Bill Borden was offered a lot of high-paying jobs, and he refused every one because he said, I already have a calling. My calling is to missions. So after refusing the last job offer he had, he also went back to his room. In the back of his Bible, he wrote down, no retreats. He gave away a million dollars of his inheritance. And in 1910, today that would be somewhere 50 to 100 million dollars to missions. He went to seminary at Princeton. And when he finished seminary, he got on a ship to sail to China to work with an unreached people group that were Muslims there. He'd already been studying Arabic. On the way, he stopped in Cairo in Egypt to perfect his Arabic uh, skill. And sadly, while he was there only three months, he contracted spinal meningitis. After getting sick, he was dead in a month. This is his grave in the American cemetery in Cairo. For years, it was overgrown with weeds. But on the slab of granite, At the very bottom, it says this. Worship team, would you come out? It says this. It doesn't say worship team, would you come out? <laughs> come out. It says, apart from Christ, there's no explanation for such a man. The story of his death was carried all around the globe. It was in every American newspaper It's written that a wave of sorrow crossed the earth. And the question was always brought up. At 25, so gifted, so promising, was his life a waste? Did he miss God? 
What happened? It was not a waste in God's eyes. His brief life, untimely death, launched one of the biggest waves of young people and American campuses going to the mission field. And it is said, out of all the missionaries in the 20th century, he probably had the most influence, which is so odd to be recognized as the most influential missionary when he ever, never even got to his place of service. Before he died, ill with fever, once again he wrote in his Bible two more words. Under these words, no reserves, no retreats. His final words were, no regrets. Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. And his people respond. Say it with me, please. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. One more time. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Say it a little louder. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. When you think about the next realm, C.S. Lewis said this. There are far, far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. The page we just finished is not the end. It's only the, the beginning. Why, Steve? Because it's called eternity. The place we belong. Now, during this last song, this is always the most important time of our service. It's a time for you to respond to whatever the Lord is saying to you, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. If you're thirsty today, if you're hungry for things that really satisfy, if you feel like you need a bath, if you've never given your heart to Christ or you you have, but you've been away from him, why don't you come home? Why don't you go inside the city instead of being outside of the city? So with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you pray with me? you'd like to know that heaven is your home and Jesus is your savior pray with me right where you are just say Lord Jesus I need you come into my heart today and be my savior my Lord give me a home in heaven cleanse me of every sin and make me your child because today I give you my life in Jesus' name. As we continue to worship, this altar is open. The Spirit and the bride say, come. If you want to do business with the Lord, if you feel like he's calling you, 
If you want to surrender in a deeper way, you come and there's people here that will pray with you.
Keep drawing us to yourself. Help us to stay close, hungry, obedient, and useful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Serve him well. Slip out quietly. Pick up your children. There's people that will minister to you here if you'd like prayer. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for more information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form, and you can let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.